psalms are supposed to be, the songs that lead us in our journey. Sometimes the songs are for us, and sometimes the songs are, are for others. Most of the time, it's a combination of both. Music does that. Sometimes we come in this room, and people sing, and there's a choir of worship and praise that sings over us and reminds us of who God is and what he's done. And sometimes we are that choir that can lift someone up. Beth Moore says music is the language of the soul, and I believe that. There's something about music. Um, lyrics are so important and can communicate a lot, but there's something about when you add music, it's just there's something about it. The Lord gave it to us. It's a gift. And so as we continue in the Psalms of Ascent, uh, we're 127, as Alexander said. We're halfway through, so you have 120 to 126. And then we're here, and then you have 128 to 134. And as I was preparing to preach uh, this passage and sitting in the Word and asking the Lord about what that means, I thought about journeys and when you're on a long journey. You know, Israel's, uh, I looked up this morning, Israel's about 290 miles long. So um, give or take, I don't know, a few hundred years and wars and all that. I don't imagine it hasn't changed entirely too much. Jerusalem's right in the middle, so the furthest distance about would be about 145 miles. That's quite a journey three times a year without a car, 145 miles. And you get halfway in, and I don't know what you feel like halfway into a long journey on the road somewhere, but this question starts to come from the back seat of my van when we're halfway through or so. Hey, are we there yet? Are we almost there? You ever feel like that in life a little bit, though? <laughs> Sometimes I'd say, Lord, could you just give me a progress report or, like, how are we doing? I, are we there yet? I feel stuck. I'm in the middle. This is hard. And that's th where this psalm comes in. And right in the middle of this, this psalm, I love this psalm because it is all about the everyday, everyday of life. Eugene Peterson wrote a book on the Psalms of Ascent, which we've recommended if you want to be reading a book through the series. But I haven't been able to get too far into it. I've read the introduction. I've read pieces of it here and there. But every time I pick it up, I just stare at the front cover because of the title. It catches my heart, and I just sit with the Lord on it. Because the title of the book is called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I feel like that's my life. When you feel stuck when things are heavy, when you feel like you got a long way to go, what do you do? You do the next right thing. You keep going. You put one foot in front of the other. You remember the last thing the Lord spoke to you, and you obey it, and you continue to obey it. It's a long obedience. It's the same direction. You keep going. Psalm 84 gives a blessing for those who are on this journey. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca, which means weeping. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. So this is, first of all, a reminder that, church, this is who we are as the people of God. We aren't just tourists on the planet thinking life is great and wandering through going, hey, look at that over there, and oh, this happened, and look at that. We are on a pilgrimage. We have a purpose. We have a destination. We walk through life longing to encounter God, knowing that we are headed somewhere, Jerusalem, 
is our target, right? Encountering the presence of God. And because our hearts are set that way, we actually journey different. We journey with the same intent. Where can I find the Lord in this journey? So our hearts are set that way. And because they're set that way, verse 6, as they pass through the valley of Abaca, the valley of weeping, as they pass, not if. There's no if. Sorry. If I'm the first to inform you. There's no if on the valleys of weeping. They come. But those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage make those place, places, those valleys, a place of springs. And we do that because we dig down deep in our God and we find refreshing and strength in there. And this is as we, uh, just all morning, Jackson, as you were sharing, knowing you were going to share, as you were sharing, listening to that song, this is the only thing I could think of, your valley of weeping has become a place of springs, not just for you, but for this entire congregation. When we do that with our suffering and our pain, we find a place of refreshing, and we connect with the Lord in that, and we ourselves are able to drink from that well in the valley of weeping. We continue on our journey, and then every traveler that comes behind us can also drink from that well. And we drank from a well this morning that Jackson found in his valley of weeping, that the Holy Spirit drilled into his life and he shared that with us isn't that beautiful our, that's how our, that's how our lives are as we walk through this earth and we journey with the lord our valleys of weeping become places of refreshing not only for us when we connect with god but for those that connect with us and those who travel with us verse 7 they go from strength to strength till each appears before god in zion and i love this too we go from strength to strength i love that the people of god are not known as people who go from weakness to weakness, from one trial to the next trial. They come. We have plenty of weaknesses, at least I stand at the front of that line, and we have plenty of trials, but that's not how we're defined. Our definition of who we are as a people is we go from strength to strength because of our God. That's who we are until we appear before God in Zion, and we will appear before God. So let's jump in. Psalm 127. Psalm 127 was written by Solomon and as I was digging deeper and deeper into this psalm, realizing that we know the author. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever read the psalms and they say, written by the sons of Korah, which I don't know how many sons that guy had. Either he had a bunch or he had one really prolific songwriter. I don't know. But Solomon we know. We know a little bit about Solomon. He also wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And I feel like Psalm 127 is like a miniature Ecclesiastes. There's just a bunch of like, this is meaningless and that's meaningless. You know, Ecclesiastes starts that way. Everything's meaningless. Riches are meaningless. Advancement in the earth is, even wisdom is meaningless, right? And he says, towards the end of the book, he says, obey. Be connected with your, with your creator and obey God. But all of the pleasure of this world and the toil and the things that we do, all of that's meaningless without the Lord. And that's how what he writes in this specific psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. Go to sleep. Might as well go to sleep unless the Lord's with you because it's vain. Uh, It's meaningless to rise up early and to stay up late, toiling, anxiously toiling to provide. Some need to hear this morning, I believe, as we read this, I believe the Lord wants to say to some of you, your work is not in vain. You're working with me, and I'm right here. And you can know that when you work with me, your work is not in vain. Keep going. 
I believe uh, for some others, this is sort of kind of just a brand new way to look at things. Like, well, how do I work with the Lord? I didn't even know that that was something, you know, we, I do my work and I come home. I have my devotion time or uh, time in the word, time to pray. I have time committed to God. I come here to worship. But what does that even mean that I would build a house with the Lord or that I would uh, be a watchman that commits that time to God and engages with him? And I was thinking of this parallel, I believe it's a parallel passage in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, where Jesus speaks about this. And he says, I want you to come to me. You're weary. You're tired. I have a way for you to work. And this is how I want you to do it. I want you to take my yoke upon you. And a yoke, um, at least the ones that I know about, a yoke, there's room for two oxen. You take one side. And I think when I always thought about this uh, early in learning the scripture, I always thought the Lord's going to give me things to do. I'm going to learn from him, and he's going to give me things to do. He says his burden is easy and light, and I'll be able to do it, and so I'm going to figure this out from the Lord. But actually, the picture of this yoke is the Lord is saying, I'm going to be on the other side. We're going to carry this yoke together, building the house together, watching over your life together. I want to work with you. And I was thinking about the ability we have to do things. And we, there's some things we can accomplish on our own, right? But what does it mean in light of eternity? And what can we really do without the Lord? And I, was, I came across this story um, of this woman who's an artist, and she has a two-year-old daughter. And she would let her daughter doodle on paper, uh, kind of like that. And her daughter would turn in her artwork to her mom. She'd be so proud. And her mom would look at it. And then her mom would breathe life into it and do something like this. Isn't that amazing? Go to the next one. So here's our work, right? Here, Jesus. (laughs) I've done things for you. (laughs) And then he takes something. He makes our life so beautiful. One more. And I love this one because it's so amazing to see how a true artist can bring meaning where you just think it's just a blob of black. Isn't that amazing? So think of this at times. Invite the Lord into your labor and know that he can breathe on it and make it something so amazing and eternally purposeful. Verse 2 says, In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. It can also be translated... While they sleep, he provides for the one he loves. I love that. We were never intended, never intended to be self-sufficient people. The Lord did not create us that way. He's always wanted us to be dependent on him and acknowledge him as provider. I don't know how the Lord does it. I really don't. I know, I think in my spirit, I, you know, I read the scripture, I know he has resources and he's God, he can do anything. So often I don't think about the fact that he does, though, until he drops these provisions in my way. And I have just a, a small story of what this could look like. Um, I'm a single mom. At the end of a long week, at the end of a long day of the long week, I went home a couple weeks ago and I was sitting in this passage, not really, like, I don't, what does that even mean? that you would provide. And uh, I opened my refrigerator, and there's, you know, I have, I have food in my house, so don't, don't get me wrong. I have food in my house. And I could go to the store if I wanted, but the truth is, sometimes I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to go to the store. I'm tired, and I would rather call a fast. And we're all not eating. We're going to worship Jesus tonight, and <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so, uh, but, but it's, you know, I cook for my children, though. 
And, um, but I opened the refrigerator and there's one apple. Now, I try to provide a balanced diet for my kids, and so I thought I could either eat that apple or I could not eat that apple, and my kids could have the apple tomorrow, and done. I don't have to go to the store. So that's what I chose. And, uh, and I chose to sit on the couch and spend some time with my kids just because I was, just didn't want to deal with it. And an hour later, I get a text from my friend who has never done this before. I look at my phone, and the text says, I know this is completely random, but I'm going on vacation tomorrow. Do you need any fruit? Can you believe that? I thought, you know, that's exactly what I need. I have, I have other groceries. I don't have fruit. And I didn't want to go to the store. I didn't tell her the whole story, but... Um, I thought, that's amazing. And the, Lord, and the Lord just kind of leaned down and whispered in my spirit, Tabitha, I know exactly what you have in your refrigerator. I know what you need. I've got you. I will provide for you. He provides for us when we don't even know it. I was thinking that while we were singing that uh, uh, Good, Good Father song. Even before we ask, he's able to provide for us. We work with him We are faithful to him, and he provides for us. And the second thing that I take from this, which I really want to spend some time on, is he grants rest to those he loves, and it's our responsibility to receive that rest. We have to take it and honor it. And uh, so as I was thinking about that, I began to ask different believers around my life, okay, so what do you think about that? What is, I began to think about the word Sabbath. What does Sabbath look like for you? Uh, What does it mean to you? I realized, gosh, I don't know that I've ever had anyone really teach me about the Sabbath. They just kind of assume that I know what it is. And so I had all all kinds of amazing ideas come from people. Sabbath is when you go to church on Sunday. Sabbath is uh, when you take a break and you don't do anything. Sabbath is uh, when I go grocery shopping and do laundry so I'm ready for the next week. I thought, well, this is quite an array of ideas of Sabbath. So I went back to Exodus 20. Uh, where the where the commandment was established. Now the Lord established Sabbath from the very beginning, creation, right? It's even outside the law, but uh, but He speaks to us about Sabbath when He gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel. And I just want to preface that, like this is one of the Ten Commandments. This is one of the Big Ten. When we hardly ever talk about it, or maybe even rarely ever do it. Don't kill people. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Keep the Sabbath. Like, did you ever think about, that's like the list, you know? And so as I, you know, kind of scrolled back in my Sunday school brain, I thought, I remember memorizing these as a kid, and it was sort of like, number one, worship the Lord your God and him only. Number two, don't bow down to idols. Number three, don't take the name of the Lord. You know, I had like the list in my head. But when I entered into the scripture, I begin to see the heart of God in a different way because the Lord doesn't start with number one. This is what you have to do. The Lord starts with these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now do these things. That's how he starts. And I thought, oh, I think I do that. I go to my kids and I say, I am your mother. I carried you in my womb for nine months. I delivered you, I nursed you, I changed your diapers, I feed you, I do your laundry, I clean up after you. Pick up your socks and be kind to each other and obey, right? That sense of obligation, this is who I am, now do what I say. But the more I sat in the scripture, I thought, I don't know, I, that's not how I know the Lord to be. And, and I kept reading it and I thought, I don't think that's what he's doing here. I think it's more like a friend, 
or a lever saying, hey, look at me. Look in my eyes. I love you. I'm the one who rescued you from slavery. I went deep into Egypt and I freed you. I have things for you to do. I know the best way for you to live. I'm not, I'm not going to give you these ten laws to see you jump through hoops because I want to cramp your style. I know the best way for you to live and I love you. Keep the Sabbath. So let's read verse 8. This is number 4 here. The fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the first thing about the Sabbath we see is it's set time apart. It's holy. It belongs to the Lord. This time does not actually even belong to us. It belongs to God, and he deserves it. Number two. Okay, so in defining Sabbath, I, I didn't like go into a, a million commentaries and try and talk to Hebrew scholars or anything. I just kind of looked at the scripture and thought that it could probably interpret itself. And here's what I found out that Sabbath is. You stop working. That's kind of it. You stop working. And there's always more underneath the surface, right? But that's the first step. In six days, do your work. Or in this certain amount of time, you have work to do. Do your work when it's time to do your work. And then when, when, it's, when stopping time comes, stop. Stop working. Why is that so hard? Does anyone else find that hard? I think it's hard. Horribly. Especially with Wi-Fi and email on your phone and, oh, I can just do this one more thing and then I don't have to think about it. And, oh, let me, I'm I'm constantly that way. And the Lord's like, stop, Tabitha. Take some time to stop and just be a person. It takes some humility, I believe, to say, the world will go on without me. It's okay. I do not need to weigh into that decision. I'm going to take a step back. This is my time. I think our pride steps in and convinces us that if we can just do one more thing, it'll be better. Or we've got the answer. This person really needs to whatever. So pride is one reason, maybe. Fear would be another one. At least this one kind of comes to me. Some of us are afraid to be quiet and alone with ourselves. Sometimes we stop working, and it's kind of amazing what surfaces on our soul and sometimes we go yeah I really I don't really want to think about that I'm going to go work or I'm going to go whatever I'll go work out I'll go I'll just keep the activity going because when I stop something starts to surface in my soul and I don't really know what to do with it but those things are really important and the Lord knows that which is why he built Sabbath into a life of following him uh, number three no one work. So, so the next part here, I believe, is the Lord just saying, hey, I know you. If you read the Ten Commandments, they're all pretty simple. There's a few that explain themselves a little further. This one, by far, is the most extensive. And uh, this right here reminds me of when I was raising a toddler who, you know, would walk by and just kind of whatever. And I don't, I'd say Anya, it's Anya, magic. Uh, Anya, don't touch that. 
And I had one, I had one of these who, who said, oh, okay, mama. You know, okay, no, 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 don't, don't touch that. Not with your hand or not with your elbow. Okay, okay, mom. Okay, not with your other hand. Not, don't touch it, right? Which is what the Lord is saying here. Don't you love this? Does anyone else think this is funny? Because I think it's funny. Don't work. You don't work. Your son doesn't work. Your daughter doesn't work. Your male servant doesn't work. Your female servant doesn't work. Your animals don't work. Your for, the foreigners, anyone working for you, stop it. All of you, take a rest. Take a deep breath. And if you're the head of a household or a business, it is your responsibility to give everyone within your power an opportunity to rest as well. Number four. I love how the Lord reminds us that he did this in creation. Him saying, hey, if I can do it, you can do it. If I can do it, you can do it. Jesus didn't do away with the Sabbath. I think sometimes we think that. Jesus did not do away with the Sabbath. He did reinterpret it, however, because it became a hardship. And a lot of people had made rules that the Lord never intended to be a part of this commandment. But this is what Jesus said about it. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. I didn't create you. To fulfill this thing. In fact, I created the Sabbath for you because you need it. You need a rest. You need to stop. So I would encourage you, uh, as we're letting the word convict us, because what we say, like sometimes we read the word and then we often pray and ask the Lord, Lord, let your word read us. As the, Lord, as the word begins to read your life, where is it that you need to rest? Okay, last section. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. The first thing I want to say as I was reading this is the first thing I heard. Children are a heritage and a reward from the Lord. I could hear in the spirit the enemy trying to discourage people with that. And I don't know if this is for someone, I believe this is very specific for, specifically around this passage, but I think in general, a good word for us to remind ourselves that we don't live in neutral territory, that we do have an enemy who hates us, who hates God's word, who knows that God's word is nourishment to us and wants to twist it in every way he can to erode our confidence in God's love. So uh, let's not hear what it's not saying. Children are a reward from the Lord, absolutely. This passage is not saying, however, that not having children implies a curse or a lack of approval from God. There are many blessings and rewards that God gives us. He gives us provision. He gives us long life. He gives us relationships. He gives us treasure in heaven. He gives us salvation and peace. He gives us knowledge sometimes when we need it. Revelation talks about him giving us a new name and, and writing it on a stone. There are many gifts and rewards that we have from the Lord. Children are one of them. It's not the only one. Uh, yeah, I believe that's, uh, I hope that's, and pray, that's an encouragement for someone here wrestling with that. I believe uh, even stronger um, yeah, I'm going to go into it. You know, in Genesis chapter 3, the Lord has already told Adam, Adam, you're free. You're free to eat from all the trees in the garden. And I just want to say, this is exact. I, I like to point out how the enemy works because this is how he works in my mind too. The Lord gives us 
a beautiful freedom of expression, and then the enemy tries to twist it, right? Adam, you're free to eat all of these. And then the enemy comes and begins to question, what did God really say? What did God really say to you? And, and he questions our ability to trust him, because Genesis 3 says what? First of all, he says, well, that's not true, right? Because Eve says, the Lord told us we can't eat from this tree or we'll die. And Satan says, no, you won't. You won't die. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him. That's what he doesn't want, right? So here's the enemy trying to bring intent where there was none intent. There's a, it's a complete lie. God just doesn't want you to be like him, Eve. You can't trust him. You don't have to do what he says. Don't let the enemy speak to you that way. And don't let him erode your confidence in who you are and God's love for you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And he has our best in mind. And our Father gives good gifts to us. Amen? Amen. Okay, so I believe in this part of the passage, Solomon is opening things up a little bit. And he's saying, here's all the things that are vain. This working without God is in vain. Uh, Trying to guard a city without God's protection and help is, is vain. Staying up late and waking up early to provide without God's provision and, and sufficiency. That's vain. But you know what isn't vain? Investing in people. Children. Investing your life in the relationships that God gives you. That is your greatest work in life. That is not meaningless. And uh, so the climax here of this passage is saying, this is where you're to spend your life. Spend your life investing in people. Specifically children here, but I think we can all look and say, God, where have you given me those special relationships? Heritage means a special portion, uh, an allotted portion, where God says, I'm giving this to you. Your relationships are not an accident. Your children aren't an accident. Your friendships aren't an accident. God gives us portions of relationship and says, these are rewards for you. What are you going to do with that? This became kind of an assessment for me as I was thinking about my own children. I have a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old, both girls. And I, I was thinking, I wonder how they feel. I wonder if they feel like they are rewards from the Lord. How valuable do they feel to me? And how I treat them. And in the process of um, preparing the message and just letting the words sit on me, uh, my youngest daughter came to me one Thursday and said, Hey, Mom, I swim at PCC, and they both swim on swim teams. So we're sort of a, you know, goggles and swim caps and swimsuits are kind of everywhere in our life. And, and so she says, Mom, are you going to swim tomorrow? And I said, I am. She said, Okay, well, when you go to swim, can you go down to the locker room maybe and like on the shelf down over here? And she was kind of talking around a bunch of stuff. And I said, Anya, what are you trying to say to me? She's like, my swimsuit's there. I lost my swimsuit. And, and then I, I sat and I thought, she's afraid to tell me that. Like I felt the Holy Spirit prick my heart and say, Tabitha, your daughter's afraid to tell you that she left her swimsuit, possibly lost her swimsuit at the gym because you respond so lame every time she says something like that, which is totally true, right? Because my brain goes to, oh my goodness, now we have to get online and order another swimsuit. It's just a hassle. But my not wanting to deal with hassle came across as distancing myself from my daughter. She began to withdraw from me. And I thought, I do not want to do that. I don't want to do that as a mom. Do I want to instill in my children 
a value for the things that have been given to them and responsibility, absolutely. I need those things in their lives, right? It's my job to raise them up that way. But my principles and my attitude about my principles were getting in the way of my relationship with my daughter. And so I cried out to God and I said, I need you to change me. I don't want to do that. I want her to know how valuable she is. And then we'll get through it. It's a $20 swimsuit. It's okay. We'll figure it out, right? And because the Lord is so absolutely committed to changing me in my life, a week later, my older daughter said, Hey, Mom, (laughs) I left my swimsuit down at the gym. But I responded totally differently because the Holy Spirit had already led me and saying, Tabitha, you are to raise these girls a certain way. Which brings us to this last verse, because I believe this is a really powerful thing to say. When you live this way, when you value and you treat those relationships and your children as rewards from God, and you have a strong relationship with them, this is what happens. You grow up, or they grow up, and you will not be put to shame when you contend with opponents in court. So when you're standing in a place where you need someone to stand with you as a character reference or someone who says this is what she's like, you do this well. And your children stand with you. There's no greater thing to say. You know, I'm sure, you know, our life's, our life's a little nuts, just like I'm sure yours is. And my kids will be able to say, you can say a lot of things about my mom, but my mom loves Jesus. And my mom loved us. And she sacrificed for us. And she led us to him every time. And she didn't have all the answers, but she trusted the Lord. There are things that I've, like there are non-negotiables in our hearts as parents and, our, and even in our lives with the people around us and the way that we treat them and the way that we go about it, our everyday life, in our work, in our rest, in loving the people around us, that is going to be who we are in the end, right? So when you're halfway there in the middle of a long journey, this is the song that says, keep going, work well, work with the Lord, rest well, be his creation. Don't rely on your role or your work or your productivity or your activity for your worth. Just be. There's time for that. And invest well in people. Can we pray with me? Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it speaks so powerfully and practically to our lives. God, in this moment, we ask that your Holy Spirit would allow this word to sink into our hearts deeper and deeper. That you would show us one or two things, God, that you want us to take away. Where is it, God, that we don't work with you? Where have we shut you out or just not invited you in? We long, God, for our doodles to become something beautiful. And as we take another minute, Holy Spirit, will you speak to us individually about what it looks like to rest with you? Where do we need to stop? Is there a certain amount of time? Is there a discipline or a rhythm you long for us to engage in? How do we honor you, God, in our rest?
And finally, Lord, I pray that you would bring up in our hearts and in our minds places where we've allowed principle or even the right idea or thing to come in the way of relationship with those you've given us to love. We pray for repair, God. Show us how to live. God, soften our words. Remove our sarcasm. Help us to take a breath and let go of our frustration with time and circumstances in order to love people well and see them. We pray that as a community, as homes, and as individual followers of you, God, that people who bump up against our life or are engaged with our life would know that they are seen and that they matter and that they are valuable. Thank you, God, for your word this morning. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com. 